want to talk to the imperfect parents out there. You know who you are. To be an imperfect parent, this is how you qualify. You have a child. If you have a child, you are an imperfect parent. That means you did not do it right all the time. Every day, you did not hit the bar of perfection. And this is where this is, becomes a problem where some parents, they stare at the rearview mirror and they see all the mistakes that they have made. And especially when they compare that to their children not following the Lord, not loving the, the, the Lord, they can spin into despair. They can press guilt into their lives and be really discouraged as they make the focus about the parent because the child is not walking with the Lord. I want to share something with you that some of you know, but all of you need to know. The father regenerated me when I was 25 years old. My parents did not rear me in a Christian home, and you could describe my childhood years as dysfunctional. My parents could not have done a more mediocre job, but the Lord chose to save me anyway. Any parent who is overly discouraged about how they have been rearing their children, you need to listen to that statement again. And so I'm going to say it again. My parents could not have done a more mediocre job, but the Lord chose to save me anyway. Some parents need to hear how God can save in spite of their mistakes. Did you know that? I mean, hopefully every one of you would say, Rick, I know that. God can save my children in spite of my mistakes. But do you know that practically, functionally, day the day, especially when your children cross the line of childhood and head into teenage years and young adult years and they're not following the Lord, don't have a passion for God. When you think about that and then compare how you have parented them, do you really know that God can save your children in spite of your mistakes? Now, I'm not talking about the parent that doesn't care. I'm not talking about the parent that lives in the ditch of sloppiness and poor parenting styles and doesn't want to change. But most of the people who listen to my podcast never land in that ditch. Most of the parents that listen to me, they are the ones that love God, love their children. They want to do well, and they will overcare, overworry, be over anxious because they see the mistakes that they have made and they see how their children are not walking with the Lord and they put more weight on their shoulders than what they should do. And that's what this email is. I mean, that's what this podcast is about. The title of it is Seven Tips for the Parent Who Blew It With Their Children. Now, every parent blows it with their children. I have a long list. In fact, the list is so long and the days have been so many where I have made mistakes that I don't remember them all. But I have made a lot with my children. But with that said, we have to guard our hearts because we can spin out of mental control if we don't think biblically about what is going on here. And so I want to talk about that in this podcast. And maybe you want to share this podcast with your friend. I would encourage you to do so. By the way, I'm Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where we put our article content in audio format so that you can listen while you do what you do. Now, some people might not be interested in podcasts, and so give them the option. Let them know that they can read this article if they wish. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for this article, Seven Tips for the Parent Who Blew It With Their Children. 
and it will be an encouragement to them. Now, perhaps if you haven't read much of our resources, and sometimes we'll have people that will come on live chat, that little button in the bottom right of our website that you can click on and find direction as we lead you to articles or lead you to the forum, etc. And people will come and occasionally they will ask, well, who is this Rick Thomas person? And so I do have some autobiographical material here, and I have some that is embedded in this podcast, this article, because it is important for you to know that what I'm saying is not only true, but I want you to see a snapshot of my childhood and my family to know that perhaps I was the poster boy for dysfunction. I'm not linking these articles inside this article here to draw attention to myself. That's not the point. I'm not trying to highlight sin either, even though sin was, we were a sin-centered family without question. I'm not saying that my situation is unique. I'm not saying it's worse than yours. In fact, from a counseling experience, I believe my life experience is more the norm rather than the exception. I've counseled a lot of people over a lot of years, and it's not unusual for the average person to come to me who has had some form of familial dysfunction in their life. So actually, I'm not abnormal in that way. And I'm not necessarily referring to the sensational chaos that my family exemplified. But I do want to say that my family is representative of the standard the standard, and that very few children come from God-centered, gospel-loving, gospel-motivated parenting models. That is so exceptional, and it is so rare. But I wouldn't want those parents to think that because the children were reared in a gospel-centered, God-centered, gospel-loving, gospel-motivated parenting model that their children are a shoe in to love Jesus. There are some parents that can get it 95% right, 90% right, 85% right, and their, their, parent, uh, their children detest God, don't follow God, aren't, aren't interested in Christianity. We're all in the same boat, whether you're doing it kind of okay or whether you are doing it in a mediocre way as my parents did the answer, the solution, is still the same, for by grace are you saved. Your sin list or your family's sin list may be shorter than mine or not nearly dramatic. You more than likely came from dysfunction, and to whatever degree it is, you've been affected by it, a major shaping influence in your life. And if that is true, okay, you're part of the majority report. My purpose in writing about my child-rearing experience is to draw attention to that grace of God. Just like me, at the end of the day, if anything is good or if anything good that happens to our kids, it will be God's grace that brings about that good. And you need to hear that over and over again. It's God's grace, not your wise and well-thought-out uh, well parenting strategies. Now, I know that many parents will say, well, I know that. I know for by grace you are saved, and I can be the best parent in the world, and, and my, parent, my children still reject God. I know that you know that from taking a, a Theology 101 exam, but we're not talking about taking a Theology 101 exam. I'm talking about your functional theology, how you think in your living room, how you think on Tuesday morning when that child is yelling or 
or rejecting God in whatever way that they reject God. Is this really practical to you, the grace of God? Do you understand it that way, that it settles your mind, it slows your heart down, it governs your tongue? This worldview about the grace of God is not a call for parental sloppiness or to say that gospel-motivated parenting doesn't matter. Of course it matters. You want to do as well as you can. But we must have a right perspective to repeat. It is by the grace of God that any of us are saved or will experience salvation. Paul Miller said it best in his book, A Praying Life. He said the best counseling advice that you'll ever receive is to pray for yourselves and your children. Prayer is the most essential and useful component of parenting. I've said two things that could sound like a bumper sticker that could sound trite. Christianity 101, basic understanding. One is for by grace are, are we saved. We say that so often that it really doesn't govern how we live. We still find ourselves in despair when our children aren't doing well. And then we say that prayer works and we just need to pray. The grace of God in prayer can land on any quote in anybody's kitchen or anybody's bumper but I truly hope that these things aren't just cliches for you, that you're living in the reality that it is by the grace of God and you're not penalizing or punishing yourself in ways that you should not when your child is not obeying the Lord or you are not taking advantage of this, this portal to God through prayer to plead with him to do what is impossible for you to do to re regenerate your kid. Seven tips for the parent who blew it with their children. I want to give you all seven of those right now in no particular order. The first one is it's not too late. It's never too late for your children, regardless of their age. If your goal for your children was for them to experience salvation at a young age, you may be disappointed and can become quite discouraged. This point becomes so important for some parents that they actually manipulate salvation in their children. They get a child to make a profession of faith. They ask Jesus in their heart, and then the parent feels better because the child is born again from the parent's perspective, but they've never been regenerated. And, of course, they don't see this for five or ten years until the child actually grows up to where they can live according to how they want to live, rather than just fit the mold of parental expectations. Every child does not become a Christian, and every adult does not stay unregenerate. And it's important for us to know this so that we're not trying too hard over steering the car to get them children to Jesus. I didn't know John 3.16 at the time that God saved me. 25 years old, living a quarter of a century, did not know the Bible, did not know the most popular verse in the Bible. From a human perspective, there was little hope for me. But my condition, my situation, the context, my lack of Bible knowledge, guess what? It did not hinder God from doing what he wanted to do in my life. Death is the only experience that makes it too late for the unsaved to know Jesus in a salvific way. Point number one, seven tips for the parent who blew it with their children. Number one, it's not too late. Number two, be theology-centered 
Let your theology drive your hope and understanding rather than your feelings. Your feelings may cause you to think it's too late, but you must remind yourself that those feelings are not born out of sound theological thinking. If you do believe it's too late for your children and you're partly the cause of where things are now, you need to inform your thinking with a better theology. Sound theology is not hopeless. Do you hear that? If you're spinning and spiraling down into hopelessness, then you're not living in sound theology. Sound theology is not hopeless. And regardless of the mistakes that you may have made, the gospel has not lost its power. As sound theology drives your understanding, then start speaking to yourself with that sound theology Speak yourself back into a right frame of mind. Point number two, be theology-centered. Point number three, don't compare yourself. Guard your heart against comparing yourself to others. The woman in the temple gave two copper coins in Luke 21. And because of her gift, she received the attention and the applause of heaven be careful about judging yourself based on wrong cultural or religious expectations. Maybe you're not like everyone else. Maybe your children aren't modeling what you hope that they would model. Just remember that the only opinion in the room that matters is the Father's opinion. The gospel-centered person should be able to rejoice in what God has done for his friends when another child becomes a Christian or some other good thing happens to that child, you can rejoice in that even if the Father has not done the same for you. And if your children are not saved or not living for God, this doesn't make you any less loved or any less precious in God's eyes. This point, number three, don't compare yourselves. Inform your mind with the gospel. You want to be gospel-centered. Point number four, watch out for self-pity. Not only do you guard your heart against comparing yourself to others, you guard your heart against self-pity and doubt. When we yield to the temptation of self-pity, we are, in essence, saying we are self-sufficient. We're self-reliant. The self-reliant person becomes depressed and discouraged or other, some other form of self-pity. That's what I'm describing here. Depression is a form of self-pity or usually self-pity is attached to it in some way. You may find it if you look for it. A person who's overly discouraged, there could be self-pity there as well. Or they doubt when things are not going according to his plans. Do you hear the self-reliance in that? His plans. These are my plans. This is how things should go. This is my expectation for my child. And then those plans do not manifest. If you're self-reliant, you'll, you'll jump right into self-pity because you feel hopeless. You've done everything that you know to do. I remember a man telling me and. I think it was the year 2000, we were standing in a parking lot, and he said, Rick, we read the right Bible, we go to the right church, we've done all the right things, and my children do not follow God. Do you hear the self-reliance in him? He's hit all the markers, and now he is in this point, he was in that point of despair and feeling self-pity because it didn't go according to his plans. What is going on is that the person has a high view of himself, 
and his abilities and the things that he is doing. And he's discouraged because he did not meet his self-imposed expectations. His self-imposed expectations is that his children would be lifting holy hands and crying out to God daily, walking with the Lord, evangelizing on the streets, reading the Bibles every day. The humble, dependent, and gospel-centered person will exercise hope in God rather than hope in themselves. And even when things do not make sense or there seems to be no way forward, they are trusting the Lord because they are relying on Him, not relying on themselves. What you may believe to be a failure does not necessarily mean that God is not at work. My life would be an illustration of that. I don't see my life with God, and I don't see what I do uh, from the point that God saved me as, as being the entirety of my life or the entirety of what God was doing in my life. God was there in the beginning. He was there before the beginning. When I was born, God was there. When all the dysfunction happened, God was there. God was weaving a narrative into my life. And, and now it's so easy to see. I can see it clearly that he has given me a life of helping broken people. Well, guess what? He gave me a boatload of brokenness for the first 25 years of my life and gave me another, bo gave me another boatload after he regenerated me. God didn't show up when I was 25. He was always there, and he was weaving a story. He was making my life what it is. You may believe that you're a failure because God didn't move in on your child when he's five years old. You don't know the mind of God, the plans of God. Watch out for self-pity. You're not omniscient. The title of the podcast, Seven Tips for the Parent Who Blew It With Their Children. Tip number one, it's not too late. Tip number two, be theology-centered. Let theology inform your mind. Number three, don't compare yourself. Guard against comparing yourself to others who seem to have it together and their family is just so wonderful. Tip number four, watch out for self-pity. Self-pity is a sign of self-reliance. You're not meeting your self-imposed expectations. Number five, guard against false guilt. You'll have to distinguish between real guilt and, and false feelings of guilt. You have made some mistakes in your parenting. I know that. You know that. I've made mistakes in my parenting. We all have. There is legitimate guilt. There are legitimate mistakes that we have made. I've made more mistakes than I can possibly recall. Making mistakes is part of who we are. And by the way, it's the reason that Christ came. It's the reason for the gospel because we're such a mess. Whether we're married, single, Married with children, it doesn't matter the relational context. We are a mess. We bring our mess to those relationships, and mess begets more mess. And that's why we have a gospel. When the Father reveals your mistakes to you, repent of them. Period. This is real guilt. But make sure that what you believe to be a mistake is indeed a mistake. It would be wise to talk to someone you trust, who knows you, who can bring the Bible to your situation for you to get help thinking through what is real, what is not real. Repent of what is legitimate and guard your heart against a false sense of guilt. 
If you don't know how to repent, if you don't know how to walk down the steps of repentance or walk out the steps of repentance, then I would encourage you to write us and let us know. So I've sinned against my wife, my children. I'm a parenting failure, and there's some legitimate issues in my life, and I want to repent, but I don't know how. If you don't have anyone that can walk you through that, then you have someone now. Come to our website, jump on our community forums and say, hey, here's the deal. Would you help me? Show me how to repent. It's not just confessing your sin. It's not just asking for forgiveness after you confess your sins. You want to do what Paul talked about in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24. You want to put off that old person, put off those mistakes, renew your mind, wash your mind out with God's word and put on a new person that looks like Christ-likeness. And so make sure you can distinguish between real guilt, false guilt, and that which is real, you want to authentically repent of it practically. My next point here is teach them always. Teach your children always. Tell your children what you have learned regardless of how old they are. If God is showing you a better way to parent, or if he's giving you wisdom, even though your parenting responsibilities are mostly over, Go to your children if they will listen to you and let them know what you have learned. Teach them always. Perhaps you need to repent of the wrongs you have done. More than likely you do. There have been several times I have gone to our children admitting that I was wrong and how I thought about and practiced specific aspects of our parenting we only become great parents after our children are like 35, 45 years old. And so we do make those mistakes. And we are learning as we go along. And that's where humility and transparency could have an incredible effect on your children, even if they have their families now. Say, hey, son, I want to get together for coffee. Hey, daughter, let's get together. I want to chat about a, a few things, share a few things with you. Here are a couple of examples of how that can work. This is under the heading of, of teach them always, point number six. Here's one illustration. Perhaps your children have already learned that you were wrong in certain areas, but do not feel the liberty to talk to you about some of your not-so-effective parenting practices. This is where your humility and transparency could open the door to a new and better kind of relationship with your child. What you could do is go to your child. This is a question that I ask my children often is how can I be a better dad to you? How can I serve you better? Maybe that's a question that you need to ask. And as you open the door of humility and transparency, your children may have already learned. They already know. You'll be surprised at what children know. They have answers that you don't have answers to. They know what you don't know. And so perhaps your children have already learned that you were wrong in certain areas. And they don't feel the liberty to talk to you about where those not-so-effective parenting practices happened. You could tease that out with your humility and transparency. Number two, perhaps your children are not as informed as they need to be on parenting their children. Maybe this late-in-the-game wisdom that you have gained will serve them and their children's children for generations to come. It would be unwise and unkind to withhold what the Father is teaching you regardless of when you learn it. My point here is to teach them always. 
And so one way that you can do that is ask them, what do they know that you don't know that will help you? And you can walk out repentance, even if your children are 35 years old. Number two, another illustration is that if you have learned something, even if it's late in the game and your children have children, uh, you can pass that along to them. Be a blessing to them. Teach them always. Finally, point number seven, don't fall for accusations Guard your heart against your children's accusations. If your children blame you for how they are turning out, own what you need to, but consider walking them through the weakness or the wrongness of their argument and the misguidedness of their anger. I had that attitude for a long while with my dad. In fact, there's an article on my website titled, The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad. And I had to come to the place to where I couldn't legitimately and biblically and with honesty blame my dad for how I turned out and was turning out. It's so easy to do when the kids are teenagers and young adults and when they face plant one or two times as adults and and think about what they didn't receive when they were uh, when they were being parented I think most of us can make excuses because of how someone sinned against us and I'm not saying that being sinned against is not real I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt I experienced both the real and the hurt in horrific ways in fact, it, I still wrestle through the shaping influences of what my dad and my mom put on me. But one thing I don't do, I don't blame them. And I don't blame them any longer. That day, that ship has sailed. God has done a work in my heart. At some point in our lives, we've got to get over it and choose to follow God. We gotta get over ourselves, get over our excuses, justifications, rationalizations. The reason that I'm not following the Lord is because this person did such and such to me. No, the reason you're not following the Lord is because you don't want to follow the Lord. I'm not minimizing what anybody has done to you. I'm not negating the hurt because I know the hurt can be horrific and it can be painful. It can be a huge shaping influence. I was reading someone share today about going through an adultery and they were talking about adultery that happened to her 30 years ago and she says she's still walking with a limp. Well, I understand that because I walk with the same limp. There are some things that some people can do that can put something on you that you will walk with a limp like Mephibosheth, lame in your feet for the rest of your life because of something that happened to you. But still yet, you got to get over it in the sense that you have to make a choice that you're going to follow the Lord Nobody sinned against anyone more than we sinned against Christ, but he was able to understand what was going on and to respond correctly to our sin against him. And if Christ is truly in us, we should also be able to understand and respond rightly to the sin of others. And just maybe we'll be able to walk our children through a God-centered perspective on how we have sinned against them the verse that I've really been focusing on during this podcast is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And you can recite it. I'd imagine that the majority of the people that have listened to this podcast, they know exactly what 2, 8, and 9 is. In fact, if I said 2, 8, and 9, they would say it's in Ephesians. 
I said Ephesians 2, there was 8 and 9, here it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of parenting. You know I inserted that there. Paul said, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you came from the gospel-centered family, praise God that he allowed you to be a part of that family. And if you came from a dysfunctional one, praise God for the things that you can learn and the things that you can help others with because you have, you have been a part of the crucible of suffering. But if either one of you are saved, the gospel-centered kid or the dysfunctional kid, parent, it was all by grace. It was all by grace. This excellent text in Ephesians has historically been used to talk about how a person becomes a Christian. And that is the theological and historical meaning of the passage. But it would serve a lot of parents if they applied it to their parenting. Not only were you saved by the grace of God, assuming you are a Christian, but so were your children if God has saved them. As I said earlier, this is not a call for poor parenting, but I know you won't do that. It is a call for an Ephesians perspective, and that is essential. It is because of God's wondrous grace that any of us are saved, including our children. Parent the best you can, but hope in and pray to the Father even more. God is the one who will ultimately change our children if they are changed at all. Seven tips for the parent who blew it with their children. One, it's not too late. Two, be theology-centered. Three, don't compare yourself. Four, watch out for self-pity. Five, guard against false guilt. Six, teach them always. And seven, don't fall for accusations. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.